Andy Johnson. This is the Reading Instruction Show. This podcast is about academic writing. Now, academic writing is easy if you follow the steps. It's difficult if you do not. The six steps are, number one, research to gather data. And we're going to focus on that step today. Number two is pre-draft. Number three is first draft. Number four, revise. Number five, editing. And number six, share with the world. We're looking just at the first step today. Academic writing involves saying something about something. Thus, you need information to convey, analyze, or use in some fashion. Finding new information and taking careful notes is step one of the academic writing process. You can't get to step two without doing step one. So step one, research to gather data, usually means reading and taking careful notes, but data can be collected in other ways. Now, in the typical academic or professional writing scenario, you have or given a topic or a question or an idea or a position about which you need to write, define, explain, or defend. Okay, then what? Well, first, you need to find some credible sources of information to use. You most likely are not a credible source. Nobody cares what you think, I'm sorry. Thus, your academic writing will have no credibility unless you find and use credible sources. Credible sources in academic writing usually includes the following. Academic journals, number one. These are the best source to use for academic writing. These contain articles written by specialists in various fields. Academic journals describe research, secondary research, novel application of existing theories, or new or interesting ideas set in a theoretical context. There are literally hundreds of different academic journals in all areas, from medicine to psychology, accounting, religion, and even humor. Yes, the International Journal of Humor Research. An academic journal is not the same as a magazine. Magazines are designed to attract a wide audience and make a profit for the publisher. They're usually written by a staff of writers or reporters who do not have special expertise in the fields about which they are reporting. Also, magazines depend on advertising revenue. This affects the kind of things that are published. Thus, even if something is published in a very prominent, nationally known magazine or website, it cannot be considered a credible source. Academic journals are designed to inform the field. They don't employ a staff of writers. Instead, scientists, researchers, teachers, and other professionals and scholars in the field send in their work to be considered for publication. Each journal is peer-reviewed, which means it is critiqued by a jury of three to six experts in the field to check for accuracy and validity. Each reviewer then makes a recommendation whether or not to accept the article for publication. Often, many revisions are made before an article is finally published or accepted for publication. 
Books are the second type of credible sources you can use. However, just because it's written in a book does not make it true. Books published by major publishing houses can generally be trusted to provide credible information if they cite their sources. However, you always need to look at the references at the end of the book to evaluate the sources. Now, in my field of education, articles found in respected peer-reviewed academic journals are still the gold standard. This is what I look for when evaluating the credibility of a book. And the third type of credible sources are reports, position papers, monographs, and other documents. These can be considered credible sources for academic writing. Reports, position papers, monographs, as well uh, that are re uh, published by reputable institutions such as a respected university, a well-known non-government or organization, or even a government program or department. For example, in my area of literacy, I would consider any report or position paper or monograph or article put out by the International Literacy Association or the National Council of Teachers of English to be a credible source. These are academic organizations consisting of thousands of teachers, researchers, scholars, parents, writers, publishers, and other professionals in areas related to literacy. In the same way, there are reports and other types of information put out by the Government Accounting Office, the National Assessment of Educational Progress, the U.S. Department of Education, and other government agencies that I would consider generally to be non-biased and credible. At least that was the case in the past. When looking at these types of documents, there are no hard and fast rules about what is and isn't credible. However, here are three simple tips to help you analyze and evaluate these sources. First, look at the reference list. Check to see if the sources cited are from reputable peer-reviewed journals and academic book publishers. Second, check for possible bias or conflicts of interest with the organization's goals or missions. Third, check to see if the author has training, background knowledge, or expertise in the area in which he or she is writing. For example, a reading researcher or a literacy scholar writing about reading instruction would tend to be more credible than, say, a physicist or a psychologist. One rule of thumb, never rely on a single source or a single type of source in your academic writing. In order to get a clear and accurate picture of anything, use multiple sources, the more the better. Use multiple types of sources and get multiple perspectives. This is why program developers, curriculum planners, researchers, and academic writers do a review of the literature, all the literature, and not simply a review of one study or one article. All the literature. Now, the world is changing rapidly and so is the nature of credible sources. Now, the next step is to read critically and, taking, and take careful notes. 
Reading critically means that you make decisions about what is important and what isn't as you're reading. In your notes, do not attempt to remember or replicate the complete article. Instead, select and record only the information that is relevant to your writing topic or question here. Now, sometimes beginning academic writers think that they can save time by skipping the note-taking part. They try to read the material and just highlight the salient points with a highlighting marker. This generally does not work. Not only do these writers end up spending a great deal more time on the writing project, but the writing derived from this approach tends to be vague and ill-defined, lacks structure and substance, and is incoherent. So begin your note taking by take by taking by writing the full reference citation at the top of the page, and then having this will save you the task of having to look up the articles again when creating the reference page. Next, use a basic outline form, recording only those ideas that support your writing topic. Next, uh, use a very basic outline form, or use concise incomplete sentences with just enough words to hold the idea. The goal during note-taking is not to create grammatically correct writing, rather it's to restate and remember the author's ideas in a way that makes them readily accessible to you. I recommend using 10-point font, single spacing with half-inch margins to maximize the information visible on a single page. Finally, record your notes using only one side of the page. This allows you to spread out all your notes in front of you when you begin to write your first draft so that you can more easily identify common themes and patterns. <clears throat> Again, the six steps, the super secret steps to academic writing. Step one, research to gather data. We looked at that today. Number two, pre-drafting. We'll look at that next time. Number three, first draft. Number four, revise. Number five, editing. And number six, share with the world. We will continue this discussion in the next podcast.